Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Defining moments. Defining moments. We all have defining moments. Sometimes these defining moments are something small, something that we start our day off with and really don't have a lot of consequence, but it can be something uh, that changes the course of our day and defines our day. Perhaps you start on your way to work and you discover that your car does not start. That will define your day. It will change the course of your day for certain. Perhaps you find out that your car has a flat tire on your way to work. It defines your day. Your kid wakes up and sick. You've got to now stay home and find, you know, how you call out from work. You got to figure out some logistics. Perhaps you show up at church one day and the power's out and you've got to adjust and, you know, that, that moment defines the day. Um, any number of things. So defining moments can be something small like that that just sort of affect our, our, our day or a couple of days. But defining moments can also be rather large. These huge moments where we have a choice. They can have life-altering consequences, good or bad. We can view those moments as challenges or as opportunities. Now, perhaps it's the chance for a new promotion. That can be a challenge or an opportunity. Perhaps when you receive a diagnosis, a challenge or an opportunity. Perhaps when you find out that your child has run into trouble with the law, a challenge or an opportunity. You see, when these life-defining moments, when these big moments happen, we have a choice. Are we going to sink or swim? Are we going to grow or wilt in that moment? Will our character shine or will we cower? Will our faith be built in this moment or will it falter? So I want us to consider this idea. Defining moments define our faith. Defining moments define our faith. We're going to dig into that this morning. Today we're going to look at a defining moment for a young shepherd boy. Yes, Daryl gave it away. And we'll see how his response provides a life, sets him on a life-altering path. So if you would turn to 1 Samuel 17. We have a, a rather lengthy narrative here, but it's well-known, well-loved. And so uh, we're going to be continuing our study uh, in the life of David. Uh, in the series that we've called Beloved. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how David was anointed and chosen by God to be the next king. The current king doesn't know it. Awkward. Uh, last week, we looked at how king, or David was serving in, uh, under the king, playing his harp, uh, when uh, King Saul received and, and was uh, brought, tormented by a harmful spirit. 
again, awkward. And so today we're going to look at this life-defining moment. And we're going to read a story that all of you, I'm sure, have heard about. You probably read it. And so I hope, though, that we can learn something new from this well-loved story as we dig into the narrative of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soku, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Demon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drove up in line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel why have you come out to draw up for battle am I not a Philistine are you not servants of Saul choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me if he is able to fight with me and kill me then we will be your servants but if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall be our servants and serve us and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, it's unclear exactly how much time has passed from the events of chapter 16, where David is playing in service to the king with his harp. Um, but we can assume that it's at least a few years. Uh, it might even be up to 10 or more, um, but we're not really sure. The author, though, tells us that the men of Israel and the Philistines, who are the arch enemies of the Israelites, have now come out to battle. One army is on one mountainside, and the other army is on the other mountainside, and there's this valley between them. Now, the Philistines typically would encamp, they, would, they were um, positioned, their territory was down near the Mediterranean Sea, which is would be to the, I guess you're right, where the Philistine camp is behind them, on the other side of that mountain. And so then they're advancing their kingdom, and they're coming up this way, and they come to this valley that's here. So the Philistines are on one mountainside. The Israelites are on the other. Both have the higher ground. Neither, at this point, wants to go out and battle because that, they're going to lose that higher ground. If they start to move their troops into that valley, they're sunk. It's a disadvantage. But out of the Philistine army comes this champion, this champion named Goliath, which means conspicuous one. A huge soldier who stands nine feet, nine inches tall. Now, this guy's pretty tall. I'm pretty tall. I'm six foot four-ish, five-ish, you know, but, but Goliath is so much taller than that. He's roughly this tall. And this might even be a couple of inches short. My stick wasn't long enough. 
So Goliath stands pretty tall. Now, my Goliath probably could use a few more meals. He's probably you know, not going to hold 125 pounds worth of armor. But you get the idea. This guy's tall. He's a big guy. Nobody wants to mess with him. His armor alone, like I said, weighs about 125 pounds. The spear tip weighs about 15 pounds. No one wants to mess with this guy. The spear that we have here in the back, not to scale. It's made of foam. It doesn't weigh 15 pounds. Um, but he comes out and he throws down this challenge. He's going to battle the Israelites in what's called a battle of champions. Now, this is where sometimes the, the mightiest and the strongest warrior of one army would come out and fight the mightiest and strongest of the other army. And they would battle against each other on behalf of their armies. Your champion was taken out, you were defeated. And then your army would then be enslaved by the victor or eliminated altogether. Goliath mentions that the Israelites will become his slaves um, if they lose. Now, it's pretty clear that Goliath, given his size, he's the champion for the Philistines. He's the given champion. He stands out, throws down the challenge, he's it. But who's the natural choice for the Israelites? Which of the men? Well, actually, it's Saul. Saul is king. Saul had already been victorious in battle. Saul was already a large guy. We learned previously in scripture that he was head and shoulders above others. He's not nine feet tall, but he's a big guy. He's the natural one to come out and battle against Goliath, to defend his army. But Saul doesn't step out. Instead, he's dismayed and greatly afraid. So that's the situation. That's the setup. An army on one mountain, an army on another mountain, a great valley between them. Goliath stands out there, nine feet, nine inches tall, and the army of the Israelites are afraid. Enter David. Let's pick it up here in verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons, in the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of these three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next him Abinadab, and the third, Shema. And David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Okay, so we're reminded by the author that David is the youngest of his siblings, eight sons. His oldest three brothers have joined Saul's army, and they've gone out, and that's where they are. They're on the mountainside with the rest of the army. David's job is to carry supplies back and forth. Now, back in those days, the family was supposed to provide all the supplies and food and rations and all that. They didn't have MREs like our soldiers have, these meals that are ready to eat. They didn't have any of that. They didn't follow along with these large caravans of, of all sorts of food. The family provided it. And so David's job is to take these supplies out to the army, out to the battle to provide for his brothers. And he's been asked to return with a token. He's been asked to return with a token that his brothers are okay, that his family's all right, they're still alive. What that token is, I'm not sure, but that's what he's been asked to do. And Goliath has been throwing down this challenge for 40 days. 
Well, David gets up, follows instructions from his dad, and he says, all right, I'm going to go, gets up early, and heads his way to the battle camp. The battle cry goes out when David arrives. The battle cry for the soldiers to line up and to prepare for a battle. We'll see what happens, but they're going to line up. David hears this battle cry, and his ears are perked. Okay, this is interesting. So he leaves the supplies with a trusted person, probably like a quartermaster or somebody who's in charge of all the supplies, a trusted individual at the tent. And David heads out to the field to go see what's going on. And so as he's out there, just like every other day for the last 40 days, Goliath throws out his challenge. And in verse 23, we read, and David heard him. And David heard him. So we pick it up in verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him. So 40 days have been going by. And the men have not yet gained any sort of courage to go and try to defeat him. In fact, I think more likely they've grown more scared. I think they were hoping that, David, or that Goliath excuse me, would get bored. Not having a challenge, he'd just kind of go away and not be a problem anymore. But instead, this bully is still there. He's still throwing out this challenge. Nobody has accepted the challenge. And so David, he starts asking, well, what's going to happen? Who's going to defeat him? As he's going around the camp, who's going to defeat this guy? What will be given to this man that takes away this reproach of Israel? I mean, the champion of Israel, we read what the rewards are. We'll receive great riches. Marry the king's daughter. Be free from paying taxes. Hey, you get wealth, a wife, and a waiver. That's a good deal. I mean, if you're a, a young man in the army, that's a good deal. Wealth, a wife, and a waiver if you survive. That's the key. But David phrases his question a little bit as he's asking the soldiers. And if you notice, it's a little different. He says, not just what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine, but who takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David doesn't just call Goliath a Philistine or a bully or the enemy. Oh, no. He's pointing out the fact that he's an uncircumcised Philistine, a pagan, a Gentile. One who worships pagan gods, who cares nothing about the God of Israel. And for David, that right there is a big deal. This guy's not just throwing out a challenge to the men of Israel, and not even just to the king of Saul, or to the, the, the armies of King Saul. He's throwing out a challenge against the living, true God. And for David, that's blasphemy. That's the ultimate insult in David's mind. This just elevated the battle from being on the physical plane to the spiritual plane for David. There is no greater task right now in David's mind than to defeat Goliath. This pagan god of the Philistines and these gods of the Philistines are now going to try to 
defend or try to fight and challenge the one true living God. And what David saw as a spiritual crisis, that was it for him. It wasn't just a physical battle that concerned him. It was a spiritual crisis, the complete lack of faith in the men of Israel. And Goliath, he intended this to be an easy win, I think. I'll throw out this challenge. I'll defeat some weak little soldier man, and then I'll be on my way. It'll be an easy win. But instead, what Goliath doesn't know is that throwing down his challenge isn't just against an ordinary soldier, an ordinary man. His challenge now is against the true living God of Israel. He can't win. He's no match. Goliath, even if he's nine feet, nine inches tall, he's no match for God. So David's talking with, his, with the men around. He's asking around, what's going to be done? Who's going who's to you know, do this? Who's going to go after these rewards? Who's going to you know, defeat Goliath? And his older brother hears. And he isn't too happy. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. So begins the interrogation of the oldest brother. Why are you here? What are you doing here? The battlefield's no place for you, younger brother. You just want to see what's going on. You just want to see all the action. Go home. You're just going to get in the way. You can hear it. And, and Eliab talks about the evil in David's heart. Well, we know David doesn't have any malicious intent. He just happened to show up. He's obeying his father. He shows up with the supplies and he hears Goliath's challenge. And David protests a little bit. He just says, look, I'm doing what dad said. Um, what have I done now? You know, as someone who is the older brother, I can resonate with Eliab, right? So like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Now, since I'm not the youngest brother, this kind of feels like a typical youngest brother response, right? Younger brothers tend to get blamed for things. Um, you know, they're misunderstood sometimes. Something happens in the house. What did you do? It's the youngest brother, always, typically. At least that's how it is in our house, because the younger one's a little more trouble. Obviously, David doesn't want to argue with his brother anymore, so he turns away from him. I'm done with you, big brother. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to go talk to the other men and find out what's going on. Who's going to defeat this guy? And so word starts to spread, and David um, repeats his question from verse 26 to the other men. And I think David grows a little more agitated the more men he talks to, because he continues to see this lack of faith in the men of Israel. No one's willing to stand up to David, or to, to Goliath. And so he continues to just ask around, and word spreads. Apparently David's made his way through most of the camp, because word gets back to King Saul, we read. King Saul gets word of it, that David's been asking around. So David gets summoned to King Saul's tent. And David makes his offer to defeat Goliath, to fight against him. And Saul shrugs him off. You can't do that. You're a kid. You're a little boy. And Goliath, he's been fighting since he was a kid. He's been trained for this. He's been trained for war. You have no shot. And in this moment, as he stands before Saul, David is facing a life-defining 
moment. He could listen to the naysayers. He could listen to his brother. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I am in the way. Yeah, I should go home. Yeah, you're right. I should go back to those sheep. Those are all the sheep the father has. I, I should go back and be with them. He could blend in with the crowd like the rest of the men in the army and do nothing. Have a lack of faith. Yeah, you know what? This is going to be really hard. Whew. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we should go back home. Maybe we'll hope he just goes away. Or it could be like Saul. He could listen to Saul and say, you know what? I am too young for this. I should go home. Maybe I should just cower away in my tent. But for David, that's not an option. For David, the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He trusts in the Lord. So he's going to lean into what the Lord says. And he's going to direct his path. And so David responds to Saul. He says in verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David says, look, my time out in the field, I've, I've taken down lions and bears. I've got plenty of battlefield experience. I've been out there. I've got real life experience in, in battle. This is easy. I've gone against lions. Lions are pretty predictable when they want to attack you. They either chase you down and pounce on you. They can sneak up. But normally you know that if a lion's chasing you, you know what's going to happen. Bears? Well, bears, if you study how bears can attack, sometimes they're very unpredictable. They'll just swap you with their big paw, and good luck getting up from that. They can chase you down. They can charge you. Sometimes bear will just look at you and walk away. You know, bears can be a little more predictable. What the author is doing, as commentators have studied this passage, the author is building some of the, the level of danger here. You've got lions and bears and Philistines. Oh, my. Right, So you ha he's building it. There's, there's these varying degrees of danger as you go through lions and bears and Philistines. But David says, look, I've not just taken out the lion and the bear from 30 yards away. No, I've chased them down. I mean, who chases a lion? Who chases a bear? David does because those sheep are important. So he chases them down. He goes after them. And then he, he doesn't just strike them with the sling. I mean, he's knocking them as he's got a hold of his neck or his beard. David's got the stuff. And Goliath is no different in David's mind. He's just another lion. He's just another bear. And if God was with David then in the field, God will be with David here on this field, on this battlefield, against this uncircumcised Philistine who cares nothing about God and who defies the armies of the living God. And it's important to note here that David's motivation isn't about the wealth or the wife or the waver. David's motivation is pure. David's motivation is because the spirit of the Lord is upon him, and he's a man after God's own heart. David wants to fight Goliath because it's the right thing to do. It's what needs to be done. I think we get a, a sense of David's heart as we read what he writes later in Psalm 27. 
where he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Psalm 124, David writes this. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And he continues. He says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And here's the key. Our hope, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That is where David's Hope is as where he's trusting is in the Lord. And so David trusts the Lord because the battle in David's mind already belongs to the Lord. He has nothing to fear. And so Saul says, go ahead, go and may the Lord be with you. Now, whether or not Saul actually believes that and is being genuine here, I'm not sure. Last week, we learned from Dave's message that Saul is pretty spiritually dull. And so I'm not sure he's actually, you know, trusting the Lord to do this. He certainly wasn't trusting the Lord to protect himself because he's cowering away in his tent. So I'm guessing that Saul is probably thinking what everybody else is thinking as David's going to head out there and there's going to be one less David in the world. He's not going to make it home. Saul isn't using his armor. He's cowering in his tent. So he decides, I'll give it to David. Here, David. You can wear this armor. Not only is it not too big, or it's not, it's, not too, uh, it's not the right size. It's too big for David. It's too heavy for David. He can't move around in it. David says, it's not tested. I can't use this. I can't move in this. How's he going to move? How's he going to do anything? And plus, Saul's a big guy. David's not. You know, it'd be kind of like Dave Wolf trying to wear my armor. Just kidding, Dave. Um, David didn't need armor when he goes off to fight lions and bears. He didn't need that then, and he doesn't need it now. So he pushes off the armor, he grabs his shepherd's staff, and he grabs five smooth stones. This is really interesting. This is the valley here. This is a, another photograph from a, a drone shot, I guess. And you can see where the, the stream is, where the brook that's mentioned in, in the text. And so there's a, there's a path that comes down from the top, that comes down the edge here. And that's probably, scholars say, that's probably the path that David followed because this landscape hasn't changed in thousands of years, they've said. It's still pretty much the same as it was during David's time. So as he comes down this this, uh, this path, he's going to come down to the stream. He's going to pick up five smooth stones. Why smooth stones? Why not just any rock? You're just throwing it at a big giant. What's it matter? Well, the smooth stones are really important because they soar through the air. They won't wobble. They'll hit their target. Um, you know, it's really important that... David uses a stone. He knows the stones he needs. He's been practicing out in the field. I'm sure as he's been out with the sheep and things, you know, as he's walking along, sheep are grazing, maybe he's picked up some stones and tried to hit some trees. Or maybe he did what we used to do as kids, put soda cans out there on the, on the fence and try to hit them, you know, as we're playing BB guns or, you know, slingshots or just throwing rocks at things, you know. 
David's got lots of practice. And so he knows that smooth stones are important. Kind of like when you skip stones across the water, you know that the smooth stones are going to go further than the the rough rocks. They're going to sink. So the tension is built. David's ready. His shepherd's pouch is prepared. And with his sling in his hand, David approaches the Philistine. The moment has come for David. And maybe that's where you are today. Are you standing on the cusp of facing an impossible challenge that feels like a giant? Have you prepared? Have you taken the challenge to the Lord? What's in your pouch? Is your pouch um, trusting in the Lord? Are Are you geared up with scripture to defend the lies that the enemy might throw at us? Do you have others that are praying for you in your corner against whatever this challenge is? Or are you trying to prepare with solutions that the world might give you? Kind of like what Saul was trying to do. Give David this oversized, useless armor that David can't use. You see, David knew that whatever Saul was going to provide wasn't going to work. It's not armor. It's not weapons that are going to be effective against this giant. David only needed to trust in the Lord. God had been faithful to David in the past, and David knew that God would be faithful now and would continue to be faithful. One commentator put it this way, forgetfulness of God's past deliverance diminishes one's confidence in the case of present conflict. Forgetfulness of God's past deliverance diminishes one's confidence in the case of present conflict. See, when we forget that God has been faithful to us in the past, when the next challenge comes, we're we're not going to be confident. We're not going to remember if we've forgotten what God did for us. We might try to rely on ourselves again. We must remember, we must recall God's past deliverance and God's faithfulness. David was trusting in the Lord. He steps out in faith. Verse 41, we pick up. Where David is. And the Philistine moved toward, moved forward, and came near to David. And with his shield bearer in front of him, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air. And to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Goliath sees that someone has accepted his challenge. Perhaps as David comes down that path and walks out into the valley, I would have loved to have seen that look on Goliath's face. Clearly, he's disdained. He doesn't like what he sees. Perhaps he thinks it's a joke. 
as this young shepherd boy approaches with no sword, no shield, devoid of any armor, and he says, am I a dog to you? (laughs) David says, no, but you're just another lion, just another bear. I'm not scared of you. The challenge and the insults continue from Goliath, and he says that he will give his he will give David's flesh over to the birds and for the wild beasts of the earth. This is this is a curse. This is this is actually more disrespectful than even just, I guess, killing him with honor. I mean, this is about total humiliation, leaving your body out there on the field for the birds of the of the air, for the vultures and the things as carry on. That's complete humiliation. I mean, a proper burial would be nice, but that's not going to happen. And so this was considered really, really disrespectful. True defeat is what Goliath is threatening. And David takes the same thing and he says, okay, you want to put my body out there after you defeat me? Well, I've got the Lord on my side. The entire host of the Philistine army will be out on the field. How about that? Because I come to you in the name of the Lord. And that way, all the earth will know that the God of Israel exists. And he doesn't need a sword or a spear to bring victory. Goliath stands, starts to move towards David. Goliath doesn't move very quickly. Neither does this one. But David moves pretty fast. David runs quickly, grabs his sling, takes a stone from his pouch, swings it, and lets one loose. Direct hit. Didn't just knock him in the head. The text says it sunk in. It hit hard. Goliath falls to the ground face first. There's no breaking his fall. He's not just knocked out. He did. And just to be sure and to stay true to his word, David picks up Goliath's massive sword and lops his head off. The Philistines now see that their champion is completely defeated. And they're not very willing to hand themselves over as slaves. They run off. In fact, the text says they run all the way back to Gath, which is where Goliath was from. It's about at least five miles from where the battle is. Israelites pursue, defeat them, and return. And they plunder their camp, gathering their spoils of war. And David keeps Goliath's armor and his head we read in the text. He eventually returns to Jerusalem. Now, why he decides to keep the head is not clear, not something I would have done, for sure. Um, But we learn later in Scripture that it's really meant as as a trophy and actually ends up being on display, as with Goliath's sword. But we learn that this moment becomes a life-altering moment for David as he defeats the nine-foot, nine-inch giant from Gath. It defines David's life. David will go on and win many more battles, defeating tens of thousands. And this story of David and Goliath becomes one that is world-renowned. You don't have to go to church. You don't even have to read the Bible to know the story of David and Goliath. And for some reason, we typically consider this to be a children's story. We make cartoons about it. It's pretty graphic. I've, uh, I've read this story to my kids. And uh, I included the part where David cuts off his head and 
my son had a nightmare. And so <laughs> it was a big pickle, I trust. Um, but, uh, you know, so we, we have these, um, these stories. We put them in our children's storybooks. I guess it's because we want our kids to stand up to bullies or the metaphorical giants that are in our lives, right? Whatever they may be. And I think that's valuable. I think there's actually a deeper meaning here, not just to stand up to your bullies. Because we may have a bully. We may have one or two. But what about for the rest of our lives? What can we pull out from this scripture, from this narrative? What can we pull out by seeing David model for us the faith of the Lord? Well, it's that defining moments define our faith. Whatever those defining moments are going to be for you, they have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to allow that defining moment to define your faith, positively or negatively. How will we respond when these moments come up? Will they allow us the opportunity to demonstrate faith in the Lord? Or will we lack faith? Will we cower in our tent like Saul did? Will we try to skip the moment, avoid the moment entirely, ignore the moment, and never become who God desires us to be? Never allow ourselves to be changed and to be grown. By our lack of prayer, our lack of faith in the Lord, we will miss out an opportunity, not just for God's blessing, but an opportunity to show God to others, for them to see him in us and allow him to demonstrate his power and faithfulness. Or we can be like David and trust in the Lord, trust in his goodness. And remember all the ways that he was faithful in the past, all the ways that he delivered us in the past. Will we remember all that? Will we rem remember that? Because if he could do that then, he can do it again. It's only by the power and might of the Lord that we can do really anything anyway. And when we see God's hand and his faithfulness and we give him the glory, it builds our faith. It builds our confidence. Because we don't know what the next moment's going to be. We don't know if the next moment's going to be more difficult or not. But if we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it builds our confidence ahead. And we can trust that no matter what it is, God will be faithful. God's got it. So let those defining moments in your life define your faith in such a way that people notice your faith and point Christ, point them to Christ in those moments. Hudson Taylor once said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. Weak men who did great things for God because they counted on God being on their side. Defining moments define our faith. As we close out the narrative here, uh, we again see David before Saul. And Saul asked David who his father is. It's an interesting question. It's not because Saul forgot who David was. David served with him for many years. I think it's more about the reward. This is a key question. Saul is asking because he promised all these rewards, right? So he needs to know whose house is going to be tax-free. And he just married off his daughter. So who's your father? What's your family life like? You know, that's a big question. And David responds by saying, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. You see, that day on the battlefield, 
that day, a young boy from Bethlehem delivered the people of Israel from an enemy named Goliath. Many, many years later, a boy would be born in Bethlehem who would also bring deliverance. That man, one day, Jesus, would be victorious, not over a nine-foot, nine-inch giant, but he would be victorious over the enemy of our souls, would conquer sin and death forever. And that moment, that moment will change the course and fate of human history for cosmic proportions for all eternity for those who believe. And that might be your moment. If you've never accepted and trusted in Christ to deliver you, to save you, to trust in Jesus Christ, then make today that day because it will change your life. Maybe you have trusted in Christ and maybe you're feeling the pressure and the tension of, of a moment, a life-defining moment today. We're in this season of life. First, recognize like David did that it's more than just a physical battle. It's a spiritual one. Remember that there is a lot more going on behind the scenes than really what we can see. And secondly, be like David. Equip yourself, trusting in the Lord. Prepare your pouch and go out and trust in the Lord and provide a faith-filled, God-honoring response that points others to him. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what moments lie ahead for my friends here or for myself. But Lord, may we trust you in all things. May we trust in how you have worked in the past, how you've remained faithful. And Lord, may we look to you when those moments arise. Lord, may in those moments, may we recall how you have been good and faithful. And may we point others to you. Lord, because it's not just about us. It's not about us surviving a challenge or whatever it is or, or coming out, you know, um, with a blessing. Lord, it's about pointing others to you. It's about pointing others to Christ, who is the true victor. Lord, may we remember that the battle is already won. Christ is victorious. Whether that's um, something we face that affects our day or whether it's a life-altering moment, a defining moment, God, may we give you the glory in all things, good and bad. For you are worthy, and you are good and faithful. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.